I want to take you back in time. Some of you will remember, probably a bunch of you will. November 4th, 1979. Revolutionaries seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, Iran. Remember that? More than 50 hostages were taken, American hostages, and there was a new government in Iran, um, cleric in charge, the Ayatollah, Ayatollah Khomeini, and he sanctioned the takeover, and it was just a brutal time uh, to, uh, to experience the animosity between the countries. It became the lead story of the nightly news every night, uh, on and on it went. It was a giant headache for President Jimmy Carter and his team. The crisis made America frustrated, made America look weak, and um, no one really knew how to resolve the issue. One side wanted to attack, wanted war, but President Carter had one goal in mind, and that goal was to rescue the hostages. What would it take to rescue the hostages? He did everything he knew to find a solution. Behind the scenes, for those 444 days, there was a guy named Warren Christopher. Remember that name? He was the president's representative. He tried to work for a solution. Uh, He was the chief negotiator, the face of the government. Uh, In that regard, it took forever, it seemed. Uh, It's a study in diplomacy for students today, I'm sure. Uh, Eventually, Negotiations were complete and the hostages were released and what a happy day it was when they finally came home. Um, Here's the deal. As Warren Christopher represented the government of the United States, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you represent the kingdom of God on this planet. It is a heavy load to carry. It's a great joy to be his representative, but there comes with it huge responsibilities. Here's how the Bible describes the situation on planet Earth. Our job as an ambassador is to rescue the hostages. Here's how it's described. People are dead in their sins. Those who follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, uh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's Ephesians chapter 2. That's the description of hostages needing rescue. The job of ambassadors comes from 2 Timothy 2. Ambassadors must gently instruct those who oppose God so that He will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Captives needing rescue. This is the work of the ambassador. My brothers, if any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death. And cover over a multitude of sins comes from James chapter 5. Right after worship today, we are going to hold a brief business meeting. 
Many are interested in the annual meeting of the church. We talk about the church budget. We talk about new leaders or re-upping old leaders. We talk about perhaps some direction for the future of the church. It's the business. But you and I know the Scriptures teach the business of the church is not budgets, is it? It's not money. It's not leaders. It's advancing the kingdom of God on this planet. That is our business, to make Him known. The scriptures in Colossians chapter 1 say, We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His Son whom He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been rescued. Now we are on the rescue team. I know that uh, we're crazy about our different passions. I mean, Buffalo is gaga over the Bills, but this week the Buffalo Sabres won their first three games. Who could believe it? And people started dreaming, this could be our year. This, this We could turn it around. The passion just flows out of people. Uh, I, I read, I wasn't there, but I read that last week's game at Tennessee for the Bills, over 50% of the tickets sold in that away game were sold to Buffalo Bills fans. What passion to go at your own expense down there for a four-hour game. It's just amazing. You, you see this, this, a lot of grandparents in this room today and, yeah, I, I, you're, you're probably like me. You know, I say, I have, I have three adult children. But my grandchildren, let me tell you about my grandchildren. You know, we're like that. It's like, man, there's something amazing. You see a, a guy or a, a girl that has a, it's in the cruise culture. You know, this cruise culture. These guys or girls that, with these classic cars. And they drive miles and miles and sit in their lawn chair for hours hoping someone will come up to them and their buddies and ask them about their car. They're so proud of their car. They want to tell And if you ask about the guy's car, you, you better have some time because he's going to tell you about his car. It's just that important. We're like that about everything. We're so passionate about sports or grandkids or our pets or our classic cars. And it is a mystery that we have far less passion about the rescuing of lost people, this work that God has assigned to us. During this month of October, I've been trying to present messages about Project Andrew, taken from the story of Andrew, one of the first disciples of Christ, who the first thing the Bible says he did was when he found Christ, he went and found his brother Peter and brought him in. And then the story goes about a guy named Philip who found the Messiah. And he went and found his friend Nathaniel and brought him in. And Nathaniel says, what? This guy from Nazareth? He's the, he's the, really? He's the Messiah? And the simple invitation was just come and see. Just come and see. That's all you gotta do is just invite. Come and see. Project Andrew, is our turn now. It's it's on us. Those guys are gone. The next generation will have their own responsibilities. But for us here and now, this is our responsibility. And it isn't a new program, is it? This isn't something 
of new information for you. Jesus told his guys long ago, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. So this is his command to us. So the basis of Project Andrew falls on each one of us. It's our responsibility. And the foundation of it is obedience. He didn't say, go and make disciples if you can afford it. Go and make disciples if you feel like it. Go and make disciples if it is convenient. Go and make disciples if you are gifted at it. Go and make disciples if you are trained for it. Oh. Go and make disciples if you have time to fit it into your busy life. No. Just go make disciples. No excuse. This is your job. You got one thing. Go do it. But it takes passion. And sometimes the church gets off on other issues and loses their passion. So today I just want to try to give the Bible foundation for why Project Andrew matters. We've been giving stories in the scriptures about people who brought their friends to Christ. But today I'd just like to go back and ask you, why should you even care about lost people? What what does the Bible say about that? And I think the place that I would go to answer that question would be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I would invite you to open up your Bible there. I won't read the entire section to you, but I will certainly refer to several verses and read them for you as we work through this. Here's number one reason why we should care about lost people. Judgment Day is coming. And it's scary because we have family and friends and neighbors who aren't ready for Judgment Day. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Judgment day is coming. Everyone will stand before the Lord. Uh, Brett Andrews, the brother of Linda Cronin, son of Diane back there. Brett tells a story of a friend who wrote a book on the subject of hell. And he was just finishing up the book, and the friend got a group together, Brett included, and asked them, I'm trying to come up with a catchy title for this book. And I just want to bounce these ideas off of you and You know, maybe you guys have suggestions on what I could name this book about hell. And Brett said he had a suggestion. Here's my suggestion, he said. My friend went to hell, but at least I didn't make him uncomfortable by sharing Jesus with him. Yeah, he's a sarcastic guy sometimes, but you get the idea. Can you imagine? It's... It's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And death is a certain teeth, and everyone is accountable. The scriptures say everyone, no one's going to escape it. But we don't take seriously the plight of lost people. 
Verse 11 there says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Okay, mankind, if you're that. Okay, here's the tongue twister. Paul's purpose was to persuade people. Paul's purpose was to persuade people. That's why he lived. That's his passion. And it should be ours. William Barclay, in his commentary, said, All of life is to be lived with this fact in view. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No getting around it. That statement should stop you in your tracks. Just take inventory of your family right now. What about my family? They're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Are they ready? What has to happen for them to be ready? Paul says we persuade men to be prepared to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The really cool thing about this is that if you can get people to consider Christ, accept Christ, the Holy Spirit does all that work. You just invite and you say, come and see, you should check this out. Because judgment can be avoided. You can be acquitted. Listen to these just astonishing words from Jesus in Matthew, or I'm sorry, John chapter 5 verse 24. Just tremendous. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That's how you get ready for judgment. You believe in Him who God sent. And so this is the motivation for our rescue mission. Some of you will remember our longtime minister, Jim Walker. He had a movie that he referred to from time to time. Sorry, old school, back in the 70s. There was this... He liked rescue stories. I like rescue stories. Uh... He remember this movie called The Poseidon Adventure. Might ring a bell with you. Uh, it's the story of this aging luxury ocean liner that is sailing on its last voyage from New York City to Athens, where Athens, Greece, where it will be uh, scrapped. This is its last voyage, and so it's during the holidays, and the crew is getting ready for a big New Year's Eve bash. And then they get word of a terrible earthquake that has caused a tsunami that's roaring across the ocean, the sea. And before they have a chance to even think, the old luxury liner, the Poseidon, is hit broadside by the tsunami. And the ship is just turned completely upside down. It's like a toy in the bathtub. (laughs) And the passengers, of course are thrown overboard or trapped inside and explosions take place and all kinds of things. But there's a group that has survived the initial wave. They're trapped inside and they get word that they need to travel not downward to the bottom of the ship, which is now topsy-turvy, but upward towards the top of the ship, which is now the hull. And they get instructions on how to go and they lose members along the way, but they finally get to the bottom 
of the ship, which is now the top of the ship floating above the surface of the ocean. And in the final scene, the rescuers outside hear a noise. Somebody has got a pipe wrench. And they're banging on the inside of the hall. Banging. Just banging. And the rescuers get a torch and they cut through the bottom, the top, the hull of the, sh- of the ship, right through the steel. And they pull these six grateful survivors from the Poseidon and they fly them off in a helicopter to safety and they're the only survivors. I love rescue stories, but I wish everybody could have been rescued. The whole storyline of the Poseidon Venture and almost every rescue story is taken from the pages of Scripture. Hollywood steals those storylines that are, are heavens. They do a great job illustrating Bible truth, though. If you can put God into the movie, they don't know what they're doing. It's just a cool rescue story to them. But the real story is that mankind is in trouble, and we need a rescuer. And the Bible is really from cover to cover God's rescue story for you and me, isn't it? How He came for us. How He was relentless. How He would not take no for an answer. Because of his great love for us. Well, here's the second reason why we should care about lost people. It's the compassion of Christ. I hope, I prayed, I trust that the Holy Spirit will move today through these meager words that I say. And that truth of Scripture will jump out at you. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for Him who died for them and was raised again. What a tremendous passage of Scripture. Christ's love compels us. I can't sit here and watch that. I got to get up and do something about that. I I know the way out. I know the cure. I found the treasure. I want you to know. I take a break from this for a second to tell you a story. One time, I was leading a mission trip down to New York City. A group of about fifteen, eighteen kids and a couple of adults, and I was driving through the streets trying to by myself picking up something to go back to the team. I was. A hick from the sticks, never been in New York City before, had a rental car, you know, doing what I do to go where they told me to go to pick up the stuff and bring it. Anyway, busy street, heavy traffic, and I saw a woman trying to cross, and she got hit by a car on the other side, and her feet went up in the air, and because of the other cars, I couldn't see uh, what happened? But people honking the horn. I'm looking like that. And the guy behind me is honking the horn at me to get moving. And, uh, okay, that doesn't happen every day where I grew up, you know. I mean, if that happened where I grew up, the whole, everything would stop. There would be a traffic jam in that one light town, okay? That's what it, there would be. But there it was common. 
I put the car in park. I pulled over the best I could. I put it in park, opened my door, jumped out, and went running over there to see if I could help. I mean, hundreds of people were there. And it was just, I knew I was in a different culture. Nobody came to help this woman. I got there, and she was bleeding badly, and I did what I could to help. And three people said, don't touch her. What? Don't touch her? She needs help. Um, and they, the ambulance arrived within 10 minutes, and um, I did what I could and gave a statement and left, and uh, I will not forget that. Christ's love compels us, right? That's what it is. You just do what you do. You, you react as you've been taught. And the same is true for uh, lost people. Uh, Christ loves, compels us. By His death on the cross, He He paid for your sins and bought you a place in heaven. Jesus died the death that I should have died. And the penalty for my sin was borne by Him. I'm in debt to Him. I owe Him my life. I don't live for myself anymore, right? In the old life... I was the center. In the new life, He's the center. And this is the sign I'd like to put up over the door as we leave. I haven't done it yet, but I keep thinking about doing it. I haven't talked to the leadership about it or anything else. But every now and then we put a sign up over the door. But the sign I'd put up right now is, uh, He died for me, I'll live for Him. Just go out there and do that. If you can leave the doors and just go out there and do that, knowing He died for you, you're going to live for Him. That's it. That's our message. That's our statement. Um, let's play suppose. Suppose you're on an airplane. Uh, this may have happened to you, so I hope I'm not bringing back a bad memory. It kind of happened to me. Suppose you're on an airplane. Suddenly three engines of the four shut down. And the plane starts to lose altitude quickly. And the oxygen mask drop out from above. And you put it on around your face and you're starting to breathe the oxygen. You know what to do. You, they've taught you. You've seen it before. You put that mask on. But there are some people on the plane that are sleeping through this whole thing. And some people are still working on their laptops. And others are watching movies on their phones. And they seem oblivious to the whole situation. Unless they put their mask on, they're not going to make it. What do you do? I don't want to disturb that guy from his movie. It's right at the best part of the movie. I don't want to bother him. And that guy over there, he is sleeping so peacefully that it would be a crime to wake that guy up. It's not my job anyway. We have, we have flight attendants to do that. It's not my job. No, 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 no. It's the love of Christ that compels us. You, because, even if it's scary, uncomfortable, bold, assertive, whatever you want to call it, the love of Christ compels you to action, right? That's why we care about lost people. Here's the third reason. We care about lost people because of our new world view. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says it like this. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Why should we care? Well, the world is using the wrong value system. The world thinks that you get into heaven because you're a good good person. And you're a religious person. If you have more good than bad, then you're probably going to get in. And the world measures things by the wrong standard. Temporary things like brains. If you're smart, you're probably going to get in. If you're beautiful, you're probably going to get in. If you have dollars, you're probably going to get in. If you have power, if you were important on earth, you're probably going to get in. Wrong, wrong, wrong. If you have one or more of these things, people think you're good. You have more good than bad, you're going to get in. But God views people by one criteria. Christ. Have you died to yourself and put Him on the throne of your life? God wants to know not how smart you are or how much money you have, but are you saved? He urges us to think and see things like that. We regard no one from a worldly point of view anymore. Are you in Christ or are you outside of Christ? Either you're a new creation in Christ or you're described as part of the dead sinful order that will pass away. This is the point. Uh, Bringing people from death to life. We regard no one else with a worldly point of view, but from God's point of view. We see it through a different lens, saved or unsaved. Okay, there's another. We should care about lost people because He has appointed us His ambassador. Amazing verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. All of this is from God who has reconciled Himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We we are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. Oh my goodness. This might come as a surprise to you today, but you are in the ministry. Yeah. When you entered the ministry, when you left the baptistry, that's when it started. God gave you the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, Telling people how they can be made right with Christ. You say, I, 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 I don't know how to do that. Yeah. You just say, come and see. That's all you got to do is come and see. And this might encourage you because the work, God draws the people to Himself. God does all the heavy lifting here. You just are the inviter, the ambassador. This encourages me because I was never really good at math, and I think that God may not be good at math. If He's not good at one thing, it might be math. I know that sounds irreverent, but God uses some kind of common core math. I don't know. You know, you sit down with your your grandkids to do math with them, and you're saying, oh, I never did math like that. I know the answer, but I don't know how you got the answer like that. That's crazy stuff. It seems to me 
that God uses common core math when it comes to our sins. Because of His amazing grace, He forgets how to count. He, you can read it yourself, He doesn't count people's sins against them. They're all right there. Just add them up and put them, put them on my ledger. This is, this is my guilt. They're all right there. And He says, nope. Can't add it up like that. One death of my son wipes out all of that. Common core math, I don't get it, but I sure like the answer. God's grace, it's amazing. And so this is the urgent message of God's ambassadors because of our sins. Death and hell await us. Something's got to happen to change the situation. And you know what happened. So Paul said, In verse 21, we implore you. You can come up with your own synonym for implore. It's pretty urgent, isn't it? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message, right? We can't argue people in. Uh, We can invite we can urge, we can encourage, we implore you, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, in the next few months, we're going to be offering upward basketball to about 175 kids here in our gym on Saturday Saturdays. It's a massive undertaking. I don't look forward to all the details of it. But uh, I look forward to meeting the people and their kids. I don't want to do any of the computer work and the behind the scenes. I don't want to do any of that. But I want to see kids make a basket. And I want to meet people so we can invite them to church. We don't do upward basketball because I like basketball, although I like it very much. We do it because we because Christ's love compels us. We do it because we care about lost people and we're God's ambassadors as though Christ was making His appeal through us. That's how it works. Well, I need to invite the worship team up here and close. We care about Project Andrew because we understand judgment. We care about Project Andrew because uh, we take the consequences of sin seriously. We care about people who need to be rescued. But also because we have this good news. People are dead in their sins, but Christ can make us alive. That's why we care. Some Christians feel like they're in the minority. They feel sorry for themselves. Oh, woe is us. The world's against us. It's a terrible situation. We're in the minority. The odds are against us. It stinks to be us. Nobody likes us. Everybody hates us. I think I'll go eat worms. That kind of thing. No, no, no. We're not playing defense. We have the good news. We know the rescuer. We have the life you're looking for. Your way doesn't work. It ends in brokenness every time. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring eternal life. But in Christ, you can be a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The guilt, the shame, gone. Things are made new in Christ. 
We implore you, be reconciled to God. And so we have this priceless treasure in Christ. We've been given new life in Christ. He died for me. I will live for Him. That's the genius. That's the basis of Project Andrew. So I would ask you, probably 98% of the people here today are believers in Christ. I would ask you to pray that God will help you see things through His eyes. I would ask you to pray that God will give you courage and boldness to say, come and see to your family, maybe some classmates or some friends or a neighbor, come and see. I want you to know what I know. And I just would put it on you. Who should who should you be praying for about this? Who Who does God bring to your mind right now? And just ask for this boldness and this opening to invite. But if you're outside of Christ today, I would invite you today, right now, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Would you stand with me, please? If you need to make a decision for Christ, come on down. We'd love to talk with you about it.